0: Hi, this is Mobile Couch, and this is a show where we talk about development for mobile devices. And this week this week, we're talking about stuff that came from WWDC.
1: Oh, that's right. There was some conference this week.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it was WoWO. Wo DC. Actually, no, that was a couple of months ago. <laughs> no. Uh so and this week, uh Ben Ben is suffering from um post WWDC. Cold. He's so beached, he, is. <laughs> so he says. Maybe, maybe he just stopped in New Zealand en route back to Australia and yeah, just, I don't, uh, just. Don't uh, think he could help himself. And so, and so this week we have, uh, we have Russell Ivanovic from Shifty Jelly joining us. Yes, but you may call me Ben if you like, if that's more comfortable. <laughs> okay, okay, Ben. All right, good. Thanks for thanks for joining us
1: and thanks for filling in.
0: Oh no worries. I, I couldn't let the. Uh... The memory of Ben like just fade away so quickly. I have to fill in for him. Yeah, exactly. So, last week was a big week. It was huge. How, how big was it for for you guys? Because neither of you were there. I know because La-di-da. I looked for Went to you. W W D C. You started that one <laughs> early, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had
1: I had these grand plans. Right, I was going to be like, okay, I can't attend in person, but I'm going to like pretend that I'm attending and have a week where I just dedicate myself to W W D C.
0: How did that go for you?
1: Yeah, not so good. So, Unfortunately, um, my both my three-year-old, and my, you know, paying clients um, had other plans about the fact that perhaps I'd spend some time doing the stuff that they expect me to do. So uh, I tried to cram as much WWDC around all of that, got up and watched the uh, keynote live, um, and watched as many sessions as I could and read as much as I could and have started experimenting with the code. But, uh, yeah, didn't probably didn't spend as much time consuming content as you did, I'm imagining.
0: I was in sessions most of the day. Like, um, it was it was full on. Um, I'd you'd go like you'd be there at eight thirty or whatever for the first for the nine o'clock session, and then it'd be like three or four, and then it'd be lunchtime, and there's a lunchtime session which I didn't make it to because I you yeah. know, wouldn't even there's try. There's just a,
1: some years there's like gaps in the schedule. Like the I mean there yeah, aren't there's, gaps right. The sessions scheduled, but you have a look and there's not a lot of any of interest. At a particular time slot, so you kind of
0: can skip it. But yeah. I think this year it was packed. Wasn't well, this it? year was this year had a lot. It had a lot. Yeah, and we, sh- we should talk about. There's it. so much that we uh, needed need to get through. So, for, but first of all, first of all, let's let's have a look at our our predictions. predictions sure, from the previous episode, it's because p- I think. I think we did pretty well, or so, rather, you did pretty well. I did. You, I did abysmally. Do you have them to hand? Cause I don't. I don't have them off. Uh, I don't have them to hand. But I, I, I do remember some of them. So one of them was that you. We were talking about the possibility of a new language, and I know I said, "Yeah, no, it's not going to happen this year. It won't just won't happen. We're well, not ready for it." And then, by the way,
1: by the way, they did do a new language. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember if I predicted one or not. I, I may have said something like, "If Apple were to do it, they might do this thing where they just have it." No sound sign of it until it's ready and then suddenly unveil it. Which is kind of an Apple thing to do. And is what they did. That was crazy that moment.
0: That was crazy.
1: I don't know if you've like watched the WWDC videos, like the keynote video, having actually seen the keynote live. But there's the a couple of frames in that video that are like my favourite ever.
0: Is it is- the guy that goes like claps while when when they announce Swift and he's so like it's, going it's, crazy. Surely it's, sure rea- yeah, it's the look on Federighi's face as he's about to announce it. He's like, hmm, and he's just got that smile and he's sort of controlling himself chuffed. a bit. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like the, the reaction shot to what gets me is the, the the just complete sort of split in the reaction between yeah. people who are ecstatically excited and others who just look so angry. There was yeah. one
0: guy who they had like zoomed right in on. And his mouth is just wide open and he's just staring in disbelief. <laughs> he's like what. Yep there was i the my my favorite shot of that moment was was one of the reaction shots, and they show a they show a dude like just clapping like crazy he's yeah. gone he's he's so excited he's yeah. enthusiastic as as heck and they pan down the row a little bit and there's a dude with his arms crossed and he's just kind of like no nah, he's not having any yeah. of it but uh which is
1: really interesting it kind of i think it kind of summarizes a little bit how I feel about it both of those like i was i was i think my first Reaction was kind of shock, like I can't believe they've actually done this. This is incredible. And then excitement that, you know, we're gonna get a new language, then it's that's awesome. Uh but then creeping in there and still at the back of my mind is like, wow, this is a lot of learning. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I think I start first started looking at Objective C in the Mac OS ten public beta, which is what, two thousand and one was it? Two thousand? Something like that. I don't, was I don't like know like fourteen years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, 14 years of uh of experience and now it's like pressing reset a little bit and going, okay,
0: start again. I think for me it was it was interesting because I just feel like after 5 years of objective C that I'm finally good at it. Right. Like, oh, I finally got good at this thing and I feel like, well, here's a new thing.
1: Yeah, and
0: you're not good at that one yet.
1: <laughs> but I we
0: think should... we I think
1: we were maybe a little bit spoiled for those of us who have been able to dedicate ourselves to kind of focusing on one language for so long. Because I think these days in software development generally across the whole industry, you gotta learn new languages and new frameworks and new techniques all the time. You know? Yeah.
0: I change. mean, especially since it's always like changing and things are always moving. Like if you only know one language, then you're not gonna be able to keep up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And actually interestingly lately I've been doing a bit of Xamarin, um, using C Sharp to write UI kit apps. Um and that's been an interesting learning curve. It's been like you know, there's that familiarity with the frameworks. So there's, you don't have to learn kind of the, you know, how you architect your apps and which classes you're going to use to achieve which things, but you've got to learn the syntax um, of, a, of a language. And just a little bit of time I've spent now with Swift, it feels like a similar yeah, learning so curve. Yeah, that's like, an
0: interesting question, actually. Do you think a lot of that stuff will just go away? Like all these people that have been trying to replace like Objective-C with Ruby and C Sharp, and do you think all those projects will just stop? No. Nah.
1: I don't think they will. So I think in some respects, um, I think people are trying to achieve multiple things with that is that uh, they didn't want to learn Objective-C because perhaps they already had familiarity with the language. So they're looking to, um, you know, a way to continue using a language they're familiar with on iOS. Um, But also, you know, Xamarin in particular is looking at trying to do cross-platform. So you can use a, sing- a single language to develop both iOS and Android, and I guess Windows Mobile if you really want. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. And I don't think that Swift is going to address either of those needs, right? Like it's not familiar to anyone. Uh, and it's only going to work on one platform or two, macOS and iOS. Yeah.
0: Although I have to say it looks a lot like Go. I don't know if you've done any Go before. I haven't done any at all. It looks like a lot of languages. Yeah, Honestly, but go go in particular like it has a massive resemblance to because it looks it's it's kind of like they took a whole bunch of different languages and a bunch of the languages that people had been pointing to over the past few months saying, "Oh, I wish it was more like this and it had this feature of this language." Yeah. Um it's like they took all of those things and put them in a bag and then just shook it all up and then just went That's Swift. It was probably a little bit more
1: planned than that. (laughs) I know. I realize it's probably
0: more planned. I mean, they've been working on it for for far longer than we've really been talking about it, to be honest. They've been working on it for, what, four years now, I think it was?
1: I think so. So Chris Latner updated his personal website. He's the guy behind Swift.
0: Hey, can I I stop you there for a second? Do you you think this year of all years, there's been way more Apple employees actually publicly coming out on Twitter and saying, I worked on this, I worked on that? give me feedback. I've never really seen that before.
1: I saw it a bit last year. Um, It's interesting, like around WWDC, I think there's a little bit more of that publicly talking about work. And then in between WWDCs, I think it drops off. Like a bunch of um, Apple engineers who I'd never heard of before who I started following this time last year because they came out and said, I worked on this and I worked on that. Yeah, And then don't really hear anything in between. It does seem like people are you know, it's, we're getting to a point where we can put names against functionality more easily than in the past.
0: Yeah, it used to be, you know, you have to talk to people who knew people who knew people, and then you could find out, you know, yeah. who worked on which framework. But yeah, it seems like in I, recent years it's a lot more obvious.
1: And I think it's pretty cool also that this year they've relaxed the non-disclosure agreement a bit.
0: Ah, oh, big time. How good is it? I've just started doing some Swift, and I had, I'm like, oh, surely this won't be on Stack Overflow. Go to Stack Overflow, it's already there. Yeah, yeah. There, was, there was Stack Overflow stuff and like GitHub projects and stuff within 24 hours of it being launched. Yeah. So the only problem I have with that, so
1: that is awesome, I agree. But um, one of the problems I have with Stack Overflow is like, I feel like surely not. there are not very many people who know Swift well enough to be giving considered thought through answers to questions on Stack Overflow.
0: But that's that's kind of the beauty of Stack Overflow, that over time people can upvote and downvote and add new answers. and. Yeah,
1: okay, so you're getting a sort of, Un- unedited stream of people that may have encountered that issue, like literally yeah. two. Where Whereas last I did, year, you go on there and there's just
0: people trying to educate you about how NDAs work. Yeah, of course. Right. I'm like, well, thanks for that.
1: Yeah. Whereas now, and I think it, people are saying the videos are all available to stream. Yeah, you WWDC don't have to log in to see the videos without login. Yes, you can watch them either on the app or from the website,
0: oh, which is fantastic.
1: I think. I hope this is a sign of things to come.
0: I think so as well. Seeing, I mean, putting those under NDA didn't really seem to see, serve a lot of purpose in the first place. No, I mean, what but, are you trying to prevent?
1: I think my understanding of the NDA thing, like the motivation for it in the beginning, was it's all about controlling the marketing message. And with pre-release software, if p- if too many people are aware of the details of the pre-release software, then people like the the public at large who aren't developers start to get their perceptions of the software shaped by all of the stuff they hear from people that have got the pre-release stuff. Yeah, and that so makes if sense. it's buggy and flaky and crashes a lot and people are allowed to publicly say that, then, you know, Joe Public is sort of getting this, oh, I don't think I'm going to I'm gonna steer clear of iOS 8. It sounds buggy and terrible and crashy. Um, so I can kind of understand, but I think this they've got a better balance now, which is sort of saying don't post screenshots, don't post reviews. So don't, you know, don't critique us on how buggy it is because it's a beta. And so stop trying to tell people that, you know, don't judge it as if it was a final finished product.
0: Yeah, well, that was the most interesting thing I found about Swift is the engineers were saying basically, like, we're not done. It's still a beta. There's some language features, you know, we're still yet to add before, you know, September. And I think it's really interesting that this is kind of they're treating it as a starting point.
1: Yeah. So have you had a chance to play with Swift yet?
0: Yes. Yes, I have. I rewrote just for fun, like a few classes in it, and I did a few other sort of things. Like
1: as in classes in production apps that you're going to submit to the App Store that will be live at some point soon?
0: Uh, I don't know about this, some point soon, but yes. So we're working on a new app at the moment, and everything new that we're doing in there, I'm trying to write in Swift, basically, and even some of the existing stuff. Like, yep. j- just for fun, I have a class that does all the the sort of heavy lifting when you interact with one of our servers. And just for fun, yep. I started to, to rewrite that in Swift just to see what it would be like, you know, to reimagine, not just not just sort of cut and paste the code and then convert every line to Swift, but sort of more think about, okay, now that you've got all these language features, like you can return... Tuples, tuples, I don't know how you pronounce yeah. that, and all these tuples. different Yeah, all these different sort of things that are in Swift that are not in Objective C. It's how could you reimagine this sort of this class yeah. with those things in there?
1: I think that's awesome. Like I, I've started writing an app entirely in Swift because I didn't feel like I had somewhere I could play like that. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm doing a lot of client work at the moment and I don't really feel like I can give my clients a code base that's half Objective C, half Swift at this point. Most of them are still wanting to target iOS seven.
0: So how you found it how are you finding it so far So cool
1: I, I really like it um I'm kind of finding you know there are features So I guess uh, you and I might have a similar background in terms of software development the first programming language I learned was Java I think you yeah. said you did C++
0: Oh I did C++ for literally 3 weeks so
1: and then a bit of Java um and so I think that's then colored my perception of languages since then and so I really like a programming language that um I guess protects me a bit from myself as much as possible.
0: Yeah, so, exactly. You know, as much as you understand, you know, how memory management works and how pointers work, it's nice not to have to, to worry about those things.
1: Yeah, exactly. And strong types as well. Like I really like the fact that the compiler can check that, you know, the method I'm trying to call can actually be called on the instance of the object. I'm trying to call it on. And um, you know, like generics is an example of making sure that you, your collections can only contain yeah one, one, thing. one thing and that you, you know, that if you put yeah, you know, when you get something out of a collection, that you're going to get something of a particular type without having to kind of make assumptions.
0: Yeah, and the, if you accidentally try and stick and the wrong type in there, that that's an actual compiler warning instead of sort of getting that later on. I found that interesting on Twitter. You know, all these people laugh about Java, haha, like such a funny language. But knowing all the generics sort of side of that actually helps with Swift because it's pretty much the same syntax, even.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a lot in the language that I really like. Um. It was weird just starting though, like just working my way through the Swift book to begin with. Um, The fact that like uh, sem- you don't need semicolons. Oh man, every time I finished a class. Parentheses are optional.
0: I was pressing command F and there was at least seven semicolons in like every single thing I'd written.
1: Yeah, so that was, the, well, I since we have realized that obviously you can stick semicolons in if you want, it works. You
0: can, but I kind of feel like. They're optional, like yeah. everything else in the language. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that I kind of don't like that they're optional i I want the language to be more opinionated than it is um I, it feels weird and naked leaving them out but i kind of want i'm like you russell i want to start writing my swift code as proper swift code yeah um, see, and so see the what, one
0: thing i'm not cool with is um not having brackets around an if condition my brain just kind of cope with that
1: yeah uh, it does look a little naked but yeah. i kind of don't mind it because i suppose what are they really for
0: Yeah, I guess they serve no purpose if there's nothing else between the word if and like your opening brace, but still it just, and I'm sure that's just from years of having written code that has them. When they're gone, you're like, oh. But yeah, I guess you're right. You don't actually need them.
1: Do you put parentheses around single item return statements in Objective-C? Like if you return a value, do you just go return and in parentheses the thing you're returning? Can you even do that or am I? Crossing my language streams here.
0: Are you talking about? So I used to have a thing in Objective C. You're saying if whatever is nil, just return straight away. All on the same line with a semicolon at the end.
1: No, no, I'm I'm just talking about uh, actually putting the thing that you're returning from a method in parentheses.
0: Oh, I've never done that unless it's some kind of condition, like does this thing equal something? Yeah. Oh, you've actually know. put what you're returning in parentheses.
1: I think so. I'm confusing myself now, though. I like my I like me my parentheses. I put them everywhere. It's like it's like these little curvy things giving my code a hug.
0: <laughs> right. So many hugs. So before we get stuck in uh, in more you know markup and syntax and all that sort of stuff, um, why don't we talk about some of the other stuff that happened at the conference? Because there's so much. Like, do, I, but I want to get back into Swift. Okay, uh, can we, we park we Swift. We, we, we can park Swift it? because. The the I mean straight up and down like I I think my my particular opinion on Swift is it's it seems really good I haven't had a lot of time to play with it but um it does seem really good and I kind of want to like really want to start using it um but I think like we've got other shows where we can talk about that so let's 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 kind of cover off all the things that we have because there's so so much so I've got a can I give you my list this is to
1: me what I just work through the list. I reckon we only, we can only pick a couple to get into.
0: Well, uh, here's the thing, right? Because I think the biggest thing out of all of this entire conference is not even the language. The language is kind of like, a, oh, yeah, by the way, one more thing. We have a language for you. It's interesting. So I, I agree and disagree. I think the language is one of the
1: biggest things for developers.
0: For developers, sure, because it's going to change, obviously, like the, the development environment that you're going to be working in. But yeah. the thing is extensions, man. They are going to change the freaking operating system That's more than anything. Anything that got released—that's on my list. It was number three on my list of big things that came out of WWDC. Because the thing about extensions, right, is because now we have now we have this ability, and we've been we've been wanting these this way of being able to you know pop stuff up in others other people's apps and yeah. and you know have better cross uh, app communication and stuff like that. And now we have these extensions things that essentially let us do that. I mean, it's 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 kind of tied down much like the rest of the operating system, yeah, and that's fine. I, to, to be honest, it's less tied down than I was
1: anticipating. So I, I was thinking, like I thought we might get some lock screen thing. I was kind of hoping we'd get some lock screen thing. But in my wildest dreams, I thought all Apple would give us is some like kind of P-list format, like the info P-list where you could specify, you know, my message is a Boolean it's got a yes well, you've no option.
0: You've got that now. You can you can set it up so that you, you can, can actually do you the can they react could, to messages now. Yeah,
1: yeah, but you can do so much more. You can actually do a whole view controller, can't you, that appears in notification center. Yeah. Well
0: yeah, you you can add yeah.
1: a, a today
0: extension, yeah. Yeah. So, no, no, he, so you've got today extensions, like they're yeah. one thing you can add. And then you can also define these things called remote views, where basically you define view controllers that can be opened from other applications. The only thing I find weird about that is they're completely uh, separate apps, so the extension that you make actually has to be a separate application, and it can share some things I think yeah. with it's yeah. with your application yeah. like I think it perhaps can... the keychain, the n s user default, and maybe some of the data as well. I'm not sure, but it can't actually talk directly to it,
1: yeah, so that I thought that was interesting, so I was wondering how they were gonna do it because um you know like a lot of the current backgrounding. Uh, technologies will launch your app into the background for a short period of time and will then call into your app at some point. Like, you know, if you're doing core location, the core location manager will get for beacons, for example, did enter region. Um, and it's kind of weird because that'll be called irrespective of wherever wherever in your app call your core call location manager delegate is, if that makes sense. So it doesn't have to be the app delegate. It'll, yeah. It can just be some view controller somewhere and your app will be launched into the background and the execution will go to that point. And so I was kind of thinking they might do something similar but this sounds a lot cleaner that they've got actually a separate oh, it's process. Much cleaner.
0: So it's it, you essentially are building a separate bundle. It is it is quite uh, quite legitimately its yeah. own app really.
1: Yep. Um, but they should, they are now uh, to support that Apple are now supporting frameworks on iOS. Right. So now you can run frameworks. Libraries.
0: So that way you can have things that uh that are shared between your extensions. Um, and your and your actual app,
1: yeah. In terms of functionality, you can share functionality between the two, but it is probably going to be much harder to share state.
0: Like, yeah, I find you it a little bit. I mean, I understand why they did it, but I find it a little bit annoying that you know your extension app can't somehow call back into your main app. And
1: so, how does um Android do this? Like with the um so in activities? Android,
0: if you look at widgets, a widget has like a subset of UI stuff that it's allowed to use. So there's there's these things called remote views and. That they have all these rules like you can't connect directly to a remote view like basically Android itself instantiates your widget and then it actually calls your app like it wakes up your app and says hey look I've got one or more widgets here are their views, like you've got a chance to update them but from then on your widget can actually get things like notifications from your main app, it can call back into your um, main app, you know you're either using intents or like other sort of cross uh, what do you call it, cross server sort of frameworks but there's they're they're part of the same app, so it's not two separate apps. It's all yeah, okay. kind of the same app, but it can kind of instantiate just that small bit. And I, but I guess in order to run that, like the majority of your app has to also be running in the background.
1: So I guess in some ways, Apple's approach might be better on battery life, like in the sense that um it'll force us as developers to carve off the specific bits of functionality we want running as part of one of these extensions.
0: Maybe, but I suspect that. That app might have to make like web service calls that your main app might have had to make anyway. Yeah. Okay. So it could be yes and no. Like for example, you think about something like Pocket Weather, right? If you want to make a weather widget that kind of runs in your Today thing, Which then that thing clearly, would have to call off to the you server. You guys are
1: going to want to do, right? That sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like I find it hard to actually think of any better ideas than that. But that that one's kind of obvious. It's like you pull down and there's the the weather for today and maybe like a few more days. But that thing is going to have to call off to our our server and actually get the weather and. I haven't looked into it yet, whether it's going to have to have its own database or whether it can store stuff in the main database or, or how that actually is going to work. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually very curious about that as well, because obviously, given the opportunities that exist in, in this space, having extensions for GIF wrapped is going to change, change my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Like I, I'm, I'm wondering whether or not I'm going to be able to actually do a lot of stuff on device, or I'm going to have, or if I'm going to have to like put a server or something in between to make stuff happen. It, it seems like I should be able to write to a database at, l- at the very least, but I haven't gone deep enough yet. See, I haven't even looked at the extension of the sessions yet. See, I'm kind, kind of excited was, to get into it. I was at both the extension sessions, and yeah. they're really easy to do. Like, they're very cool. easy. You essentially add a target, which creates all the like the basic files for you, depending on what type of extension you want. Um, And then you uh, there's a bunch of methods that you essentially override, like as if you were subclassing, yeah. and that kind of all put together. Nice. means that you have an extension. It is super easy. So how does that work with the the common code that you want to share between the two? Do you have to manually turn that into a framework or does it just you can import right. classes from your main project or what? So what you need to do is you need to make a, a framework with the core with those core classes. Um they actually had a session on that as well. Um on well, I mean they had a session about doing it between um iOS and Mac, but yeah, okay, it's still thing. it still uh kind of works the same
1: way. Um, it's really nice that we've got proper frameworks now that you can have sh- not only shared code, but shared resources too. So yeah. you can have a framework containing your code and resources that that code uses yep. and share it between, I guess, your iOS app and your iOS extensions and your Mac app.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's cool. Hey, so moving on from extensions, not that they're not awesome. I agree. They're going to make a big difference to people. It, mean, it means iOS is now a much more sort of flexible and configurable operating yeah. system.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing with the extension C, like a lot of the other stuff that came out, like it's really good. Like there is a lot of really good stuff that happened this year. Um, but extensions are actually going to change the way that the device feels, I guess, in a way. Like it, the, all the all the third-party stuff that you're going to be able to do now that you were never able to do before yeah. is going to make it that much more of a um, dynamic system, I guess. Yep. Um, because it, it just means that we're not going to have to like rely on you know, for instance, you know, share share sheets, yeah, friggin' share sheets. <laughs> like you had every every time you wanted to write like something that wasn't Twitter or Facebook. Like let's say you wanted to post something to Tumblr, you yeah. had to write it all. Yeah, you had to write every single bit, or you know, use a use an, a third party library. Now they can just build it into their app, and any users that actually have a Tumblr app you know have the tumblr app installed just get it for free yeah it's just there and it's just like it's it's good for us and it's good for consumers and it's good for everybody really
1: i think it's i think it's going to take a while for it all to flow through as well like it'll be interesting to see what are the big successes of extensions like when ios 8 comes out which are the extensions that people are making the most use of um
0: Oh man, one password! I cannot wait for one password on iOS, like yeah. proper proper in browser one password. Yeah, that and the yeah. uh, the Touch ID thing as well. Oh yeah, Touch ID that's that's phenomenal as well. Yeah, and that's so another that, thing that I thought that Apple would never do is actually expose that to developers.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I think that Apple this year have done lots of things that we as a developer community sort of assumed that they mightn't that we may, perhaps we were not being fair on them.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether they've changed or because they're so secretive internally that they were doing they the were stuff They were always going
1: to do all of this stuff and it's just taken a while to, to get through. Like for example,
0: that, that custom third-party keyboards thing, that was like I heard that almost firsthand, like last WWDC that that was in for sure. Yeah. Like I was talking to a reporter there and he's like, yep, look for like custom third-party keyboards. So they must have had most of that sort of ready to go, if not all of it.
1: Yeah. So... um John Gruber had an interesting post on Daring Fireball, I think, today talking about the lead time for some of these sorts of things and made the point that basically all of this stuff in terms of the extensibility was contingent on better cross-process communication Yeah, and a better security model around that. And so perhaps that that's what this year was about. It wasn't about them suddenly changing their mind on things, but it was about saying the technology getting to a point where it's stable enough.
0: I don't know. Have, sometimes it doesn't make it. Like I know for a fact that NSURL session was almost ready for iOS six, like all right. that sort of background downloading stuff, and it just didn't make it in time. And so they pushed yeah. it into iOS seven.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, that sort of thing probably happens a lot. Yeah, but it still get. I still do get the sense that there's kind of um, I don't know. There was a lot this year that, you know, we thought might like. So another one on my list is CloudKit, right? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people had written off iCloud, and sort of said, ah. Oh, you know, the iCloud um, core data is doesn't seem to be as easy to use as people had hoped. And um, and it kind of failed to then come out with, you know, sort of double down on the cloud and sort of say, okay, um, you don't want to use it like that. Well, we'll expose a sort of lower
0: level data store that you can use. Well, they, I mean, they tried everything else. Like they, they tried, um, you know, the, the first lot of iCloud stuff was kind of broken. It didn't really work very well. And oh, the persistent key value difficult. store worked well. Oh, well, I mean, well, the persist the, the persistence key value store is pretty much the only thing that survived. Um, documents kind of survived, but in it's in a very different state to what it used to be. Yeah. Um. But I mean, the fact the fact of the matter is is that they've changed like they've changed their iCloud stuff fairly significantly. Right. And that's it. Seems it certainly seemed like documents in the cloud
1: and iCloud core data didn't get widely adopted. For whatever reason, well,
0: I think it's partially partially because it just it never really worked that well. Like in iOS six, I think it was the first when it first came out, and it just kind of it it was like especially the core data stuff was just woeful. It was woeful, and you could never get it to work. And if you did get it to work, it would probably break on you or break on your users, and then you'd be you'd be screwed. Yeah.
1: And it was a lot dependent on you getting your implementation right, but also. um there wasn't much in the way of debugging tools. Like You couldn't really see what was going on. Whereas with CloudKit, it, it seems pretty awesome that there's this dashboard you can use to actually see your yeah. data. And and just, it's,
0: it's low-level Like it's low level stuff, which means that we now have proper control over all the stuff that we want to be able to do. So I, I, was I think it's a big so, improvement. I was so excited when I heard of CloudKit
1: mentioned in the... It was in the keynote, wasn't it? Yeah, it that was in the keynote. Yeah, yeah, and I was really excited. Uh, subsequently, I've become less excited because I think there are some key parts missing, which is disappointing me. Like what? Uh, no HTTP API to CloudKit, so you can hmm. use it from your iOS apps and from your Mac apps through the Cocoa libraries. Yep, but you can't use it from a web app through a
0: JavaScript or RESTful. Or God forbid, you try and put it in an Android app. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, I think it's it is possible as well that that just that hasn't made the cut because I mean, you you yeah. look at for instance um, some of the stuff that they're doing with Mail in. Um, in Yosemite, and now when you send a, when you send a, an attachment that's too big or whatever, yep. it will actually send it to iCloud and yep. then provide them with a link to download it. Yeah. So there's clearly some sort of web facing system there. It's just that we don't have access to it at this right. stage. And presumably the
1: iOS and Mac libraries are talking to CloudKit or talking to iCloud. Via a web interface, right? They're sending they're sending data over the internet. They have to send it somehow. Uh, ma- maybe it's not HTTP. <laughs> Who knows? It'd be interesting. Well, it could be
0: speedy. Yeah. It could, be, you know what? Before before this WWDC, I would have said you're insane. Like Apple is never going to provide a, a web framework that you can call from, you know, Windows or Android or. But I think it's it's actually possible. Like it looks like it's set up in a way that it could actually be done.
1: It looks a lot like pars, for example, which is now owned by Facebook. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but some of the stuff that pars has got that I – I'm only halfway through the cloud kit session, so please correct me if I'm wrong if you guys have got more details. But some of the stuff that Pause has um, is the ability to run – and as and Azure Mobile Services as well – the ability to run code in the cloud. Um, so when you send some data to the back end, um, you can intercept the save, basically, and, and run some
0: code either before or after the save in response. You don't have that power with this. The no. whole the whole point of CloudKit is that you don't have to write any server code. No, it's no, all done on device. Yes, that's great that you don't have to, but what
1: if you want to? So for example, I did an app using Azure Mobile Services where um you could subscribe. it was an app for um keeping track of what was happening in the Australian Parliament. And um you could subscribe to, you know, a particular uh, topic that you're interested in. And then whenever there was um something that happened in the sort of proceedings of parliament that mentioned that topic. Uh, you'd get a push notification. You can still say, do all of
0: that. You don't need to write any server code for that, though. Yes, you do. So how no. do you how do you know when
1: uh, something? So what I did on Azure Mobile Services was um had some server code that on the uh, responded to when you were saving an item that contained the proceedings of Parliament, sort of. A, I think it was called a business item. Looked at the text of the business item. If it contained any of the keywords that any of the subscribers had subscribed to, it would send a push notification to them that there code is, had to run on save there in the is cloud. a
0: bit of this the keynote no not the keynote the session in regards to cloud kit yeah um which i was only half paying attention to uh the but there was a bit for the for the cloud kit uh session that where they did uh they did an example where if you wanted to find out if there were any new parties uh like parties in you know, for clowns yep. for their clown app uh, you you could subscribe to find out when new parties came along, and you would get a push push notification. But all of that code is done on the device. So the device says to the the server, "Okay, this is what I want," and then okay. the server just automatically makes all the rest of it happen for you. You don't have to, that. Cool. That's the whole okay. point. You you write your rather than having to write like a back end and a front end to all your apps, you now just write a front end that, and then the back end. Yes, yeah. it, it it works. So well it, sounds
1: like gotta, oh, it sounds like I got. It sounds like I got to watch the rest of the session. I'm part of the way through that clown example at the yeah. moment. Um, and maybe those things are there. I guess the the other thing is that cross platform, as Russell mentioned, the idea that you could, yeah, not like these days. I think, um,
0: most mobile apps you want to do a web component to as well. Yeah, I w- I would like I, for a lot of the the purposes that I have, I would want to. I would want a. Uh, a web facing uh so, like side to the the whole thing yeah. like for instance gif wrap right and gif wrap is going to be my example for everything but um you know gif wrapped like if i'm going to use git like the a cloud service for anything it's going to be sharing of gifs yeah but there is absolutely no point in me having a service that only shares gifs to apple devices because it like gifs are across everything yeah. like web and android so, I mean, I... other G- GIFs devices... GIFs are basically the internet, aren't they? That's, yeah. The internet yeah, is well, a series I mean, of it's, GIFs. It's an and internet that, thing. I but think but one I day they'll replace TCPIP with just animated GIFs. With just GIFs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be like a transport protocol. Yes. With like, dirty. you know, sad Keanu and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> the thing I don't get though is like, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I'm quite comfortable with web programming. Like, what is so evil about... Having an actual web service that that does things because it, I find that really easy to update. Like you want to update some logic or you want to put some new stuff in, you just, you know, you deploy it straight to your web thing. And you don't need to go through the Apple approval process. You don't need to put code into your App ID. Maybe I'm a bit too old school, but I find that whole separation of you know server logic versus client logic. logic to be like a a nice thing, not like a bad I'm, thing. I'm
1: with you. I I quite like that separation. Um, the thing that I've I've gotten to is um. I don't like maintaining servers. I don't I don't like the sysadmin part of server side programming. Oh, definitely. So, hence I'm I'm quite enamored with things like Azure and PaaS because it takes away a lot of like there's no operating system to I mean I'm sure there is somewhere someone does that. I don't have to be responsible for what OS version is running. I don't have to be responsible for what web server software is running, what version of the database server is running. Um you know, I just get to do build my functionality on top of that. That those layers, yeah, I must. And you're a little that, bit more constrained nice. in what you can do,
0: um,
1: yeah. But you know, it's it's pretty good. Like both, Pars and Azure have um, this idea of scheduled tasks, so you can write some code that'll execute however frequently you want it to, and that can interact with your data, the data stores as well, and can interact with their push notification systems as well. Um, they've both got the the sense that you can have code that'll run like in response to to requests or um, posts or whatever that you can kind of Involve yourself in that. So the default is that you can just post some data to the server and it will save it. Um, but if you want to do something else, like you want to trigger some functionality, um, you you've got those points where you can write it. So I I, I guess I was look I was really excited when I heard CloudKit because I thought oh Apple have written the equivalent
0: of Azure. This is awesome. And and then I realised that they haven't. And It is very different to Azure, and I don't necessarily think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm going to use the word necessarily a lot in this sentence, apparently. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think that this, I mean, and the thing is, is this is only early, early days. Yeah. Like, we literally heard about this, like, eight days ago. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and perhaps where, perhaps I'm judging Apple too much from the past, where, like, maybe CloudKit is going to evolve, and this is the first iteration, and in a couple of months, they're going to add more and more features to it. and you know, this time next year we'll have something that you can use from a web client and that you can get some code running in the server and that is closer to what I'm looking for. But I'm worried that that might not be the case and that I need to just change my
0: expectations. And that is one of the downsides of Apple's levels of secrecy is you you never quite know. Like, is this service going to keep improving every year? Is this going to be the, the final state of it? You just There's no way to find out.
1: Yeah. It does seem, it seems really clearly positioned to make if you're doing an iOS app and a Mac app, and with that and you don't have a web front end or an android or windows mobile client then cloudkit seems perfect like they're they're solving the prob- those people's problems really well like making it easy to have bulk storage of data huge amounts of data easy to do key value storage
0: which is probably not a bad thing i mean if you're a you know one man or one woman army that you know you're doing your own code and you don't know anything about servers maybe it's nice to have a bit of extra functionality without yeah having to worry about the details I can I can tell you there were at least a couple of people that I talked to during the conference that thought that this would you know be up. like this is a good way for them to you know build new stuff into their apps, things like you know friend, uh, friend like a social type system, especially now that you don't even need to like worry about users. You've got essentially all of Apple's you know, yeah user system again.
1: Added. So I am trying not to be too like I, I want to be excited about all of the announcement rather than nitpicking, but I, this one in particular, I guess my hopes were so much more than this. Because when you say social, right, wouldn't it be awesome if um, like Pa's offers Twitter and as Fa- you and both offer Twitter and Facebook integration too so that you can authenticate to a pars backend using a Facebook account or a Twitter account just as you can with, you know, a custom login. And, you know, Apple have supported Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts on iOS. Wouldn't it be nice if that user... Like the user access controls that they offer, based around iCloud accounts, would also work with Facebook and Twitter potentially,
0: or why would it need to do that? Because not everyone necessarily uses iCloud for everything. Yeah, but everybody has an Apple ID, but
1: not everyone's social graph is connected to their Apple ID.
0: Well, you guys don't use Ping. That's that's where all my friends <laughs> are. <laughs> Doesn't exist anymore. Uh, <laughs> Look, I, don't the, ask. I
1: mean, the, I think I'm just being so. It seems like Apple's like positioning this as um use CloudKit kit and you can stay within the Apple ecosystem and we'll do everything for you. And what I want from them is a way of saying you can con- you our ecosystem can connect to those others out there.
0: So is that something that you think that Apple wants right now though? I mean you, you have to look at the fact that the Android market share is so high and they they want people to come into their ecosystem and basically be for lack of a better word stuck there but that's two yeah. schools of thought isn't it one school of thought says the more you can lock people in the better and the more attractive you can make it you know that your iphone works with your mac works with your apple tv the better but i mean the other school of thought is if you can be a little bit more interoperable then you might actually encourage more people to to use your devices like i kind of see that both ways
1: yeah same and i wish i actually think the more confident approach is that that second one if yeah, you're confident that it, you're, it says you're not scared you're, of your competitors Exactly, he's like our stuff. You can use our stuff with, and Apple do that, like iTunes on Windows. Um, <laughs> there's now iCloud documents on Windows, our iCloud Drive or whatever. So that's yeah, an Drive. example of it, right? They're sort of saying, "Yep, feel free if you have to use Windows." That's. But you know, at the same feel, time, feel it seems bad like you the the can still access your documents.
0: Windows is no longer the enemy. Like I don't think they're they're scared of Microsoft anymore. Yeah, I it's, think it's, it's clear that Google is now the enemy, and that's that's who they sort of spend. Their time worrying about.
1: Hey, speaking of interoperability, um, the other thing that was on my list uh, was of cool stuff that came out of the the conference was continuity. This whole theme of um, making it so your iOS experience and your Mac experience were more closely linked. Is this
0: like handoff and stuff? Yeah, handoff and things like that.
1: So they called it, I think they called it continuity as the kind of big theme. This is the overall thing, yeah. You'd be composing an email on your iOS device, walk up to your Mac, and you could just pick up where you left off uh finish composing the email on your Mac. Um and I think that that to me is big. It's like it's it's only an incremental technical change. Like it's making use of technologies that have been there all along. Like I think it probably uses Bluetooth to determine proximity.
0: But whatever it is it's real time. Like I'm I click Safari, little Safari icon appears, I click back on Skype, the Safari icon disappears. This is on my iOS lock screen. Yep. So it's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, But I also think it's like, this is going to change people's expectations of what computing is like. And I think that's fantastic because I, I'm so looking forward to that future where all of our devices and the software running on them know more about what's happening in the world and each other. And things are a little bit more seamless. Like whenever you do get an opportunity, like even just watching WWDC videos, they made it so that the um, iPad app and the, iPhone app would remember your, your last play point. So you'd start watching something on your iPhone and then pick up your iPad and you better continue watching that session to where you left off. It's you know really easy to do. It's not a huge technological leap, but I think it's the sort of experience that will make a big difference to users and how they expect things in the world to be. But I worry that it's only going to work within the world of Mac. And that I hope that it extends beyond. I hope that we get to a point where, all devices can share data and stuff a little bit
0: more i don't want to be the cynical one but i'm going to have to be because the <laughs> thing is is that I, I like you i would normally leave this to you uh Russell, because you're you're so good at it but the the uh the thing i think you've got to remember is is that like for, for instance all of the all of the stuff new stuff that they announced was basically like uh, kind of uh, almost a push towards, like, okay, we want you in this ecosystem. Come in, stay, have, you know, never leave again, please. Sure. But uh, the thing is, is that that's also kind of been their, like, it's been their point of view for quite a while. Like, And the thing is, is that, I want it to work across devices like oh my god I wish I could you know use my Xbox with my iPhone properly and do all that sort of like do all that sort of stuff like why can't I just you know stream my music from my Mac to my Xbox with little little else or why can't I you know properly uh, airplay from my Windows phone device. Like it, it's uh, don't even get there me there is st- a there is a counterpoint to that though, which is some of that stuff would be really hard to to test and to to get working with. I guess more open standards. Like if you're of course. the difference is here. Like whatever the heck they're using to communicate between the iPhone and the Mac, they can make that as as you know as hard coded and as efficient as they want. As soon as you open something like that up, then you've got to you know account for phones that might have different hardware or. I think it just gets insanely more complex. So I hate to be the non-Russell in this room, but (laughs) I have a feeling that's one thing that we'll probably never see cross-platform, and maybe it's just too hard to do. Like, how do you go to someone like Google and say, hey, look, we've got this standard. Can you implement this on your Android phones? And there has to be some kind of backwards and forwards. Yeah,
1: look, I think we might get there eventually. And I completely give Apple a pass for um, not trying to tackle it initially i think that they need to concentrate on their ecosystem and making it as seamless as possible from move from ios to mac and yeah it like sounds it, like they're doing fantastic I'm, stuff i'm, there. I'm way I'm really more upset when
0: something it. like CloudKit is is apple only because that's a technology that other people have done like it's obviously you can make it work cross-platform you don't have to you yeah. know only have it access from apple devices but something like yeah your phone talking to your Mac, especially in the early stages like i give them a pass for, for yeah. making that sort of platform specific
1: and um you know, there are things that it just does look like they're working with others to try and make experiences more seamless.
0: Well, um, that kind of brings like us to an interesting health, point.
1: HealthKit and HomeKit.
0: Yeah, do you think HealthKit and or HomeKit are going to go anywhere or are they going to end up being the passbook of iOS 8? Yes. Uh,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> both. I, yes is my answer to both parts of those questions. I think passbook <laughs> has gone somewhere, but it's nowhere near been adopted as much as it could have been. Yeah, I, I think it We like might see the same health kit and home kit.
0: Like I think the idea of HomeKit is nice. It wouldn't it be nice if we had one standard to talk to all our home sort of automation stuff, but unless it's implemented by, you know, all the different hardware manufacturers and people like Google on and Android, I just I don't know. Look, I think gonna...
1: there's a really good chance that it might be though. So the made for iPhone sort of marketing program seems pretty successful. Like there's a lot of accessory manufacturers that want to get the made for iPhone like accreditation or certification or whatever, so that they can market their accessories being made to go with the iPhone. And so I think they're they're making it part of that, that if you do a, in, you know, Oh, Wi-Fi you get that sort of light bulb. round
0: rec sticker on your box or whatever.
1: Yeah, you get that. Uh, this is made to work with an iPhone. Uh, and so if you adopt HomeKit, I think, as a you know, light bulb manufacturer or a thermostat or a whatever,
0: Side note: Very nice burn on uh, Apple's part uh, towards the Nest guys when they threw up a, a picture of a Honeywell was oh, it a they? Honeywell yes. <laughs> thermostat. Yeah, the ugliest thermostat you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. during the during the keynote. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I, I was actually the, like the row behind me. There's a Nest. There was a guy with a Nest shirt on, and he yeah. just like I, I turned around and looked, like, kind of looked at him. Just after after they showed that, and he's just kind of like. So wasn't like Nest holding it in? <laughs> wasn't Nest started by? Is it Tony Fidel? He yeah was like the the guy that did the iPod. Yeah,
1: I think he might still be there. Um, and then Google have bought Nest, right? That's the
0: yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah. Which is obviously the an, the why you, they won't show a Nest. See, this is uh, I yeah. find that a bit petty, though. Like, I think I, it's I hope fair enough that you have this. competition and you don't, uh, you know, want to interact with them you know, directly and bring them into your super secret beaters or whatever. But at some point, like, just not acknowledging the competition or not even working with them at all, that seemed kind of petty. Yeah. They did have a lot of people on that slide, though. Like, a lot of – there were a lot of companies on that slide. That are going to adopt HomeKit.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, so we've got – Apple are doing a bunch of stuff like this. There's still CarPlay kind of out there. So I think that there's they're, they're they are actively trying to find ways of integrating with – other things in the world, your car, things in your home, uh health um sensors.
0: I, I think it'll be interesting to see where they where this goes. That being said, I think like home kit and health kit slash health are probably the least exciting part of the entire thing. Like it's because it does it does really feel like it's just like a it's nearly an afterthought as if like it was just like well i guess like this is clearly the head direction everybody wants to head with this stuff so maybe we should do something in this space but then like it's more of a hobby like the apple tv than anything else which was remarkably absent from the conference i was i had so much hope uh, (laughs) i had so much hope this year and so did ben and it never happened
1: yeah, as I say, I've completely given up all hope that we'll ever get an Apple TV SDK. Um, that's weird, isn't it? Because Apple TV, if you added that to the iOS Mac kind of combination, the continuity experiences, the continuous experience you could have moving from your iOS device, your Mac to your television could be awesome. Look, I agree. I think that HealthKit, uh, HomeKit, all of that is a little bit less of a main focus it could end up being like the passbook of uh of prior releases um but all of these technologies i think are pretty awesome in the sense that they're all about finding ways in which your ios device can work with things in the world around you more and i think that's cool i think that's where everything's going
0: yeah i think it's pretty awesome i mean i remember going to a nokia conference like 10 years ago where the r&d people were talking about your phone basically being more context aware like is it is it in your pocket is it in a shopping center is it here you know, yeah. are you at home? Are you at work? And it seems like that stuff is only just happening now.
1: And, and it's amazing how much we now take for granted. Like, um, I think it was I saw Sarah user offering free advice to Bose about their Quiet Comfort headphones, saying you guys should put a proximity sensor in your headphones so that when you take them off, they turn off. Hey, that's good to yeah. save. It's just kind of so obvious, right? Like, yeah, why like if it's not on proximity your proximity sensor,
0: is like, why does it need to be on?
1: Yeah, and these, you know, the fact that our phones do you know, take such advantage of that context that, that you know, the um, M7 co- motion coprocessor means that your phone knows whether you're walking or driving and can switch your navigation directions from driving directions to walking directions when you get out of your car. Um You know, all of that sort of stuff. I think, yeah, we're just going to get more and more sensors and, and the software's going to get smarter at integrating them all. Speaking of which, Russell, you do use Android from time to time, don't you?
0: I do. I even switch to Android. About three weeks ago. i switched back now, but.
1: We had a, a period. What was Google Now like during that time? Well. I, does it does it do a better job of integrating the context of everything to, see, to give you better information?
0: Uh, so initially when I installed it, I'm like, this Google Now thing is the most overhyped thing I've ever seen. Like it basically told me, you know, it's going to take you 35 minutes to get home. And I'm like, well, thanks. I kind of figured that already. But and I have iOS to iOS tells
1: you that as well, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed. If you've got frequent locations turned on or something, it. It figures out where you often go to and from, and yeah. it also figures out where appointments in your calendar so must that, be.
0: That is literally the most useless part of Google now. But I've, I found that after I used it for three weeks, it it is actually really intelligent. So I'll give you an example. We went to we went on holidays to Noosa, which is uh, in Queensland. So it I didn't put anything into Google now. I didn't touch it. It knew like the day before. It's like, hey, here's your flights you know you can check in tomorrow on the day it would say look your, your plane is on time this is the gate it's leaving from when we actually got to noosa it i don't know how the hell it figured this out maybe this is even a tiny bit creepy it knew what hotel we were staying at so it's like here's directions to your hotel and i'd never exchange emails with anyone about that i suspect that maybe i did a google search a few times or i clicked on some links or something but it knew it like here's your hotel it's a 45 minute drive you know Go there that's walking. really creepy. That is
1: super creepy. So but, you, you but do I'm use insanely... Gmail as your email, right? Yeah. That's yeah. how it knew about your flights because it saw flight itineraries in your email?
0: Yeah. So my wife had booked the flights and she forwarded me the itinerary and I assume that's how yeah. it sort of figured out. And so and I think but, that part's really cool because it's, you know, it's a machine kind of figuring all that. And then you get there and it's like, well, here's here's the time in your hometown that you're from. Here's some local attractions that you might be interested in. And every time I opened it, it I don't know, it was, it was really good at knowing, you know, what, what kind of things I might want to look at. And i found even now that when I'm back in Adelaide, now that I've used it for, for three weeks, it does seem to slowly learn sort of different things about you. And, you know, for some people that might be like, where's the line between creepy and awesome? But for me, I'm perfectly comfortable. If there's some machine reading all my email, trying to figure out, you know, how to sort things out and present them to me in a better way, I'm I'm 100% for that.
1: So it is really interesting. Like I, I'm excited about the possibilities when our computers use more of the information about context to give us better experiences. But I'm more comfortable with that context coming from like a motion sensor or a proximity sensor. Well, that's the thing. Bluetooth. Andrew has
0: that as well. So I hop in the car and it'll detect that I'm driving and it's like, okay, you're driving. You've configured that before. I'll read all your text messages to you so you don't have to touch it. Yeah, that's It'll nice. just read them out and it'll say, hey, if you want to reply, just say reply. And it does, it does yeah. a lot of little things like that where it's, and I think some of these are Motorola specific, but it seems to be very sort of context aware at you know, are you in a meeting, are you at home and you can configure all sorts of profiles and things for that as well. Yeah. It's cool. So there's a couple of things that I want to, uh, to touch on before we wrap it up. Same. Yeah. So um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to know what you guys think of, I, I haven't really seen a lot of this yet because I haven't, I didn't get to the session. Uh, I chose a Swift session over this one. um, But, the the changes with iTunes Connect and things like Test Flight, which are now available well, not yet available, but going to be available to developers yeah, in the near future. That test
1: flight change just seems awesome. That you can get so you can distribute beta versions of your app to a thousand
0: yeah, it's a thousand think, Apple. A thousand IDs. users, a thousand, a thousand users, users not, yeah, not, not devices. devices. So if they have like four or five Apple devices. That is
1: just gonna like literally I don't want to be too dramatic, but that is gonna change my world. There so are the moment, there are a few as someone that does
0: Gotchas though. Me uh, gotchas. I HB the guy who points this out, but they have these two policies. So you're allowed to have twenty five internal beta testers. And for those your app doesn't have to go through app review, but for the other Nine hundred and seventy-five. It actually has to go through app review first before you can get it into your testers hands, and that's literally the only downside that I've found. Right, that that Uh, does suck. The thing is, the thing with that, I think, though, is that uh, I mean, obviously, it provides a a delay between actually uh, having the like having a beta on a device. Yeah, but the thing is, is that going through that review process will sometimes pick up some stuff that you don't get beforehand. Doing a lot of client work as i do um you know like i'll try and get
1: my clients a weekly build in some cases or a fortnightly build at the very least you only have to do it once
0: well no no, no. So unless, they, it's a major, said, yeah, unless unless it's a major change and i kind yeah. of want to know how they're going to figure that out like do you have and to tell them what constitutes a major change right like if yeah. you go
1: from if you're doing uh agile software development and you're doing a fortnightly sprint and at the end of each sprint you're shipping a version to your testers um the first version just displays like a in blank screen that says hello
0: your app will be here you know it does nothing wow you sending a beta of that out <laughs> yeah and are they <laughs> gonna bounce that and say well this lacks significant functionality I mean, I mean, like there's often, a lot of unknowns like literally there. like the first iteration
1: for me will be just getting the build delivery infrastructure up like saying usually i use hockey right and the first version my clients will get will be literally an empty app that has hockey integration so that the next fortnight they can get a build they just launch the empty app and it will say there's a new version available do you want to download it
0: I see. I feel like I feel like the, this this uh, beta process that they've got that they've put together. It's is, like for public betas. It's for public betas, not for like yeah. clients and stuff like that. So it doesn't solve my problems, and I'm in a world of pain. So at the moment, I've
1: got a hundred device slots, right? And say I've got, I don't know, four projects on the go with different clients at the moment. Like that's twenty five slots I can use with each client, and. Often, for some clients, there's just one or two person that people that want to install it. But for others, they'll give me like 50 names. Like, these people have to see it. We've got to get a version to these 50 people. It's crucial that we get feedback from them. I'm like, so just the hassle of having to provision 50 devices is a, is an incredible pain, even using something like Hockey. I had high hopes for this, that I was going to be out of that world of pain. And it sounds like maybe it would just be me managing my clients and sort of saying, for early versions, we're going to do ad hoc builds to a limited number of testers. and for Later versions, as it's getting closer to final release, we'll do a wider public beta.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, I don't want to take away from the the good parts of this. I mean, just being able to get someone's Apple ID. I assume you just have to register their ID once, and now it's provisioned for all their devices. I mean, that's pretty that's, damn that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> and basically, all they have to do is they they install the test flight app on yeah. their on their phone, and then they can download all the yeah. Oh, so it doesn't come through the, the, the app store. It. it comes through a separate app, does it? It is a separate app for it, which allows basically allows you've got users who can then register to be like beta testers, and like it can just be it's just like a public, a public, uh, you know, somewhat limited beta. Yeah which is excellent for like for i think for like situation it's not so great for for jake so what what but I, for situations like mine yeah. where i'm like you know wanting to get like a beta of gif wrapped into as many hands it's as fantastic possible fantastic it's that. perfect because it's, it takes away all of the pain in that regard
1: so the thing i should probably be using is what other developers in my situation do which is if you've got a um enterprise developer account rather than an individual one um you get provisioning profiles that let you do ad hoc builds onto an unlimited number of devices. You don't have to spec- list specific devices that it's provisioned for. Um, the reason I don't use that is because I've read the terms and conditions and it basically says you should only use that to distribute builds to employees of your organisation. And so for me to use it to distribute builds to clients is kind of like a, I don't know, it's a grey zone. Like, you know, if if, if I'm, the devices I'm distributing to aren't actually under my control. Um, Then it probably, I mean, breach of the terms and conditions. Anyway, separate topic. I I think the other thing that I think is awesome about the App Store changes. uh, So, firstly, I haven't had a chance to look at iTunes Connect yet, but I hear that there's a whole there's analytics in iTunes Connect
0: now. Uh, Not yet. It's coming later, I believe. I think that was the. I think the announcement was that it's coming like next year or something. Which sounds good. Which sounds promising. But it sounds really good because it's going to be things like you know analytics on. Who visited your page and did they buy your app and stuff yeah, like and did, that? Yeah, did they search by keyword? Did they get there yeah. directly? And yeah. does
1: it also do in-app analytics like Flurry or Google Analytics or nope.
0: Keen IO that or... I know of? But I didn't, I didn't watch the set. I haven't watched the session for that yet. I've got the video. Yeah. Okay, and I, I, I think as of out. as of next year, they're doing crash logging as well, aren't they? Well, don't they already do crash logging? It's, oh, yes. it's just it's really, just really, really bad. Their crash so, logging is terrible. <laughs> so so the difference is I think what they're adding is the fact that you'll be able to upload your D SIMs. Yeah, so, so at the that moment it will symbolicate you. You
1: you've got crashes. to keep track of of your D files that relate to App Store releases and keep them somewhere. And then from iTunes Connect you can download any crash reports people have submitted to Apple and you have to desymbolicate them on your machine.
0: Yeah, and, the tools and, and f- half the time you know. that doesn't work. I find for that I just use Hockey App anyway. So yeah. I just put my production... Or Crashlytics. Yeah, same thing.
1: Yeah. Um, the, what about what do you guys think about the app previews, video previews?
0: Well, th- there's limitations on it, some, some pretty severe limitations. Tell me, tell me. Well, the main limitation is that you can't just take a video. It's got to be a screen. It's essentially a, a screencast. So it's like you, you, you oh, basically... Oh, so you can't have like you sitting in a coffee shop doing... Yeah, no, you can't You have any of that. It's got to be... Of, of, so the they had screen. that rule about
1: Screenshots, yeah, but it's not so actively policed, right? Because I've seen
0: people submit
1: screenshots that aren't that.
0: Well, yeah, but I, I, I don't, I don't know how heavily they're going to police this video, police or... this video thing. But the thing is, is that there's a, there's a whole session. It's really, it's really convoluted. But you basically have to record the screen of your device using QuickTime, I think it is, right. and then you can't directly like it, it. That will output an MOV file, and you can't use that. So you have to put it through. Uh, iMovie or something like that. It's yeah, it's it's not a particularly streamlined process, right? May but change, just but- the
1: fact that the App Store will have videos instead of just static screenshots, I think, is awesome. That that means that there's a greater opportunity for people to discover the functionality of an app rather than make decisions based on just the star rating or you know the first screenshot.
0: And maybe that's why that's why they they are saying that it's only like you can't just have any old video. Like, oh, I'm sitting in the coffee shop using my awesome coffee app with my funky uh, elevator music behind me da, yeah da, yeah da, da, da. um yo y- ukulele and claps <laughs> uh like the reason that it's got to be of like the screen of the device in use is because possibly that you like that's that gives you the best opportunity to show how the app actually works as yeah, opposed exactly. to like an artsy shot of you yeah f- using your device your app about i don't know Gophers <laughs> in a coffee shop <laughs> with what what, with what a, if i had some like kind yo. of app that um wrapped gifts for me <laughs> what kind of video would i make i i think you would have for gifts you you would have uh it, it would be like one of those uh was it a was it a snapple or something that had like all the there was an ad that aired a while ago that was all like memes and stuff and yeah you know, uh, i don't I can't remember exactly what it was, but it had a whole bunch of memes in it, see, it would could, be like that. I could see a fantastic video that is just like
1: a a whole heap of memes cut together in sequence,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you'd start with like sad Keanu and then you'd move to like uh some Jennifer Lawrence stuff, and then you'd have you'd have some uh adventure time stuff, and it'd be like gift wrapped on the app store, yeah,
1: yeah. good, except I don't know any of those memes, but yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think I mean I think all of this shows an Apple that is listening, that is responding to the things we're asking for. Um and slowly making improvements to their platforms. Yeah, I'd agree. You know, I think a week
0: ago that- a week ago, slightly more than a week ago, if you had asked me, I would say Apple doesn't seem to be listening at all. And if they are listening, they're probably only listening to some of the bigger sort of developers in their store. But yeah, they actually seem to have done a whole lot of things that we asked for. So you gotta give them some credit.
1: I think there's actually even other like Really behind the scenes changes. Like, um, I heard from someone now that Radar Bug Reporter, uh, you can see the status of a issue that's marked as a duplicate. So if no. you report an issue and they mark it as I a duplicate, I mentioned that a while ago. Actually. Did you make that up? They Now
0: we'll show you the status. Oh, that's is that the one that. Is that live yet? Yes, it is because that's, I, I, I found it in, in the thing quite by accident. You so, can actually see the the status. It, it doesn't give you a whole lot of information, but you oh can right, tell if so it's, it's just open. The status. It's just the status. Oh, you can tell okay. if it's oh, open or right. not. I had, a, I had a good talk to somebody um, uh, during the week, uh, actually, in regards to radars. Because, and I mean, it, it's a big thing, and I know that, uh, Russell, you complain about it like like it's going out of fashion. Uh, I think one of the things that he said really kind of struck me was that this is the time to be doing radars. Like if we're doing radars about iOS eight after iOS eight has been released, then there's the whole this whole change process that they, yeah, they yeah. they've got to go through and they're focused on the next one. Like that's their next focus. Once iOS eight ships, they're like focused on first of all, eight point one and then I guess nine later down the track. And so like now is the time to be doing to be doing radars on stuff. I'll give it a go. I'll do a couple more. But I'm um, I look
1: I'm I think, as Russell said, this week I am um, feeling more positive about the fact that Apple listens to developers and cares about developers.
0: Yeah, I've, I've even filed three radars. Oh, good on you! How's Russell? that? <laughs> That's exciting.
1: Have you heard back about any of them?
0: Yeah, one they even responded to. They asked wow. for um, one of their fancy spin dump thingy bobbies. So I even sent them that. I'm like, this I can do. Just run a so, command. Yeah, yeah so well, I mean, what I've what I've heard is that, like, at this point in time, the the radars are very likely to be actually going directly to the person who's working on whatever yeah. you're to actually like filing a radar on. Whereas later down the track, it goes, you know, through other people. Um, but even on top of that, like they don't have to do a lot of like your radars don't have to be super in depth in order to get the message across. Like if, if they get like a hundred radars and yours might be the one that has the, you know, the, the steps that actually to actually, uh, Produce the the outcome, but and that is useful to them. and you know, the The rest of it can always come later if they need it. Yeah.
1: So it's worth worth doing, which I will. I've got a few things. I started playing with a collection view and table views, self sizing cells. Yes, I saw that yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. I ran into some issues, but I don't know if it's me or the framework. It's probably me.
0: But, yeah, well, it could be. It could be either or. Really, yeah. like I.
1: I should try and isolate it. And if I still think I can't figure it out and have isolated it, I'll file the radar us see. Indeed. Um, I think that's all I've got on my list of WWDC things. Uh,
0: Swift, Playgrounds. Well, yeah, play, Playgrounds are kind of cool. I mean, it's good, it's good to be able to actually run this stuff in tandem. A lot of the stuff with storyboards is very, very interesting as well. Um, My biggest issue with storyboards has always been that you just end up with a storyboard that's like all these white boxes everywhere. Right, and they address that. And they've addressed that now, which See, is this, great. That's
1: awesome. That, that is fantastic. I don't,
0: I don't know if that's going to make me start using storyboards, <laughs> but because, uh, you know, I, I do like my code, but, you know... I, I think it, it has improved storyboards so much and it's yeah. clear that this is cl- this is clearly a direction that they want to go in. This is what they want to do. Interestingly, Xamarin introduced that feature like a week prior
1: to WWDC. They did this big update of the Xamarin they did, Xamarin three and it included live previews in their they've got a now basically a visual storyboard editor that has live previews of custom controls. Um prior to Apple doing it, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, I I I think it's really interesting and but the thing is is that uh the the playgrounds introduces a whole lot of other things that you can do so you can test your uh your UI code if you if you feel the need to without having to actually uh delve into delve into storyboards which is nice. Yeah.
1: And I love the fact that they actually acknowledge their inspiration with playgrounds. Um too often I think Apple sometimes unveil stuff without giving credit
0: you mean like so think, uh, the reveal they built into Xcode 6? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I was gonna I was gonna go there. There was a lot a lot of apps got Sherlocked. So many. Um there and, are
0: there are bodies left, right, and center. Do you
1: reckon there's people in the community that don't understand the origin of the phrase Sherlock? It's mm, possible.
0: I think if you don't understand by now, it probably shouldn't you've be. You've understood it to what it, it, it means
1: eventually. There was an app called Sherlock, uh that provided a convenient was it called Sherlock or it was called Watson? I think it was called Watson. Correct. And it was like a handy search the internet for all sorts of stuff. Um in fact a little bit like what you can now do with Spotlight on Ten Ten. Like it would, you know, search Wikipedia or whatever the equivalent was back when Watson was a thing. And Apple introduced their own version called Sherlock, which, which became Spotlight. And which, all those
0: uh and all those uh you know the 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 big search field things that have yeah, been Launchbar and Launchbar and Alfred, and Alfred and they got Sherlock Quicksilver and stuff they've been Sherlocked. That's yep. one of the things. Test flight. Well, Can't test flight got bought. bought. That's
1: not the same thing. But bought and then an announced as an Apple, a new Apple feature with no acknowledgement of the fact that it was bought in from elsewhere. And then, yeah, revealed... Did they
0: really need to? Like, in far as far as test flight is concerned, like it's not like they changed the name and just went, oh, we have this new thing. It's called. Flight test, <laughs> flight test. Um, yeah, yeah, No, no, they didn't need to. They didn't need to. Like everybody that was sitting in that audience knew where test right. flight came from. But look,
1: I just, I was just gonna say, I think it was really um good that with playgrounds they sort of said, yeah, we were inspired by um Brett Victor and the stuff he talks about. Uh, and they actually made that credit and reference as opposed to just saying, look at this feature that we've got that everyone can see is clearly inspired by someone, but we're not gonna. Publicly acknowledge
0: well, a few where people I think the even went so far as thinking that it was Brett Victor that worked on it, but I don't believe it was. I've got no idea. Well, he he has said that it wasn't, so yeah, I'm okay. going to go with it wasn't, wasn't, unless he is under some sort of NDA that when he can't talk about it. No, I just saw it mentioned on Chris
1: Latner's webpage that um it was talking about the inspiration for both Swift the language and Playgrounds, um because I think Brett Victor's stuff is awesome. Like the idea of he does very good stuff. I I don't know whether Playgrounds are actually going to become a part of my daily sort of practice. i think i
0: think they might become part of the th- but part of this uh sort of testing out of uh really basic but kind of visual stuff that you don't really get with code yeah it i think it makes some of the things that i'm going to be doing a lot easier as far as like making sure that for instance it would have been a, it would have been a whole lot easier for me to get my you know my gif animating code that i had to write by hand yeah uh, correct. If I'd been able to actually test it as I was going, as opposed to every time I you know, yeah. make a change, run it on the device, is that working? That still doesn't
1: isn't quite right. It'd be fantastic for programmatic constraints. So yes, when I was failing to get the self-sizing cells working with cells that come from a storyboard or a zip, I will revert it to writing the constraints by hand, and I find that really slow going. Like you just, oh, just change a it's few ridiculous. things compile and run get to that part of your app again where it's where the constraints are actually in use see it oh that's wrong
0: need to change it for a few pixels actually kind of almost feedback follow-up on on that particular topic because we we had this conversation during the last episode or the episode we, before we're that, talking about constraints yeah. and we've had we we had that little example uh app that we have launched and is on uh, my github uh so one of the things that the reason that we were talking about that was because I was like, Oh, it's ridiculous. Trying to write these constraints, they're so they're like, you know, mile long, the the methods that you have to write. And yes. Then, they are very long. And then you have to write like forty five of them. Yes. Um, just to get, you know, one box sitting in the right place. Marco Arment, actually, I, I, I was talking to him about it and um he has a he has a like a library that you can extend. So it's kind of like masonry, except the cons- the way that you write the constraints is kind of like CSS. Oh yeah, cool. Mm. That's that I forget what cool. it's called, but I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. Because that sounds cool. I'll be checking that out.
1: I actually started using the visual C- formatting, visual formatting language. language. Have you guys used I, that?
0: I I've tried. I can't get it. <laughs> I I only just figured out the basics of it the other day because I had this thing where because I don't use storyboards, I still use interface builder files. So I was trying to drop a view from one controller a view controller into another one but still constrain that top level view which you can't actually do in interface builder so I have yeah, to do that by and hand and, I, and that's yeah, kind of what self-sizing
1: cells, cells I think that's kind of might be my problem with not being able to constrain self-sizing cells in the zibs is you want to apply a constraint to when
0: yeah like when it gets dropped into something apply these constraints but there's no yeah, way exactly. to do that Yep. which is yeah infuriating by the way some some more follow-up i just had a look in radar and yeah most of the, the the bugs i had filed as duplicates you can actually see the status of the other one now oh that's cool it's funny though some of them about half of them they fixed and the original bug is still open so i'm not quite sure how that works well i mean it, it depends on what the bug is right because you can't really see like you can't even really see what the bug is about on in in the back end it's just whether or not it's a duplicate and whether or not it's open or closed or whatever yeah, so that's literally all you get bracket. Yeah. open it's, bracket. It's very possible that the the overall bug is actually something much larger yeah. and has only been partially fixed.
1: I'm st- I'm st- would still advocate Apple
0: to open up Radar a bit more. I've seen some debate going back and forth
1: about it, even in recent days. People saying that you know ha- having it too open isn't necessarily good because you get people just duplicating one another's bugs. See, I disagree with that. Adding any extra value to me, that as a developer, I would get so much value being able to search the bug archive and so sort of say. If I've encountered an issue like this one with self sizing cells, chances are there's
0: already ten people that have reported it. Yeah. And, and if they I haven't be, written a really good write up, you could actually go there and, you know, add your own bit in and say, hey yeah. look, here's a sample project, here's whatever. I have the same issue. And but it doesn't equally, just have to be a plus equally one.
1: likely is that it's not a bug and on one of the ones that's already been raised, someone has responded to say that it's not a bug, you're just misunderstanding the API, I do it like this and it works.
0: Yeah, exactly. In which case I'd find It'll a way to right. make it work. Or I don't have to or waste anyone's time. And here's the workaround. Yeah, I mean, exactly. how handy would that be? It would be awesome. But in the absence of that, we all kind
1: of just wonder, has anyone else filed it? Do I well, do
0: not- Apple does appear to be listening now. So now maybe that we've uh, we've <laughs> managed to get ourselves a, a, a fancy new language. Which is awesome, by the way. I'm excited. Now maybe we'll get an open, open uh, radar. radar. Yeah, yeah. dear Who Mr. Does? Cook, CC Mr. Federighi, can we please yeah. have an open version of radar? Thank you very much. Awesome. So I think, because we're we're kind of running out of time, and uh, well, I mean, I mean, this is really only an hour-long show, and uh, we've been going for that. We've been going for more than that, well and truly. Um, so before we wrap up, have I, I assume you guys have been watching a few of the sessions? Is there any that you think that are really, uh, really kind of important and really uh, have been really helpful to you? Mm, yeah, we've had a bit of a, a shifty WWDC. We've set up the bean bags and we've been watching some of the sessions i've only seen about probably six or seven videos in total and i'd say definitely the uh the introduction to swift and then the intermediate swift by the time they got to advanced swift i started to get a bit lost just trying to follow the presenter and like just the code on screen but yeah i'd say those two were really good just to get like the basics of hey here's swift here's how some of the stuff works
1: yeah I watched both of those and can agree. I haven't got to advanced yet. Oh, um, I think
0: the advanced one is where he starts going into these tenant and rental metaphors. And I'm just like, just drop the metaphor. Like, just tell me how the thing works. Cause the metaphor started to become more, like more the actual story than what he was actually trying to explain. Right. Yeah.
1: Maybe I did start watching it.
0: Well, that was an in intermediate. I don't remember where that was. Yeah.
1: But um, what else did I watch that was really good?
0: Uh, there was a UI one. Prototyping? Design. Fake it until you make it? No, that's on my list. That is a really good one. I would suggest that anybody who has any sort of uh, desire to actually make, uh, you make in- their interfaces interesting should sit down and watch that. It was very, like, they kind of wrangled Keynote into doing some pretty crazy things that I'd never even knew that Keynote was possible, so, capable, capable of. Oh fantastic Yeah so I I think that's a really that's a really good one. Um the one
1: and I can't find it now. Uh it was about designing intuitive user experiences. Is the one session 211. I thought that was good. Um I'm not a designer, but uh I like to think about those aspects of an app as well. Um and thought that it was a really nice way of ex- of describing just reminding people of some core principles. Uh what's new in table views and collection views? Mm. That's always
0: good. Well, that one was mostly about the self-sizing cells, but yeah, that was, was really helpful. Um, the the scroll view, as, scroll view talk, as always, was really good. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Scroll view something, something something scroll view, something
1: like that. As someone who was at the conference and went to a whole heap of sessions that we mightn't think to watch the videos of, was there something that was uh, a surprise to you that you're like, I'm so glad I was in that session because I wouldn't have thought to go or watch it afterwards? But it had really fantastic content.
0: The uh the, the one about indoor location stuff was kind of interesting. Yeah, tell me. I, nearly, I haven't watched. I nearly yet. didn't go into the, into that one. Was like, "Oh, Should I do? Jake that? hasn't watched that one. No, it's on my no, list. I'm, I'm just thought, working. I thought through. you were Mister iBeacon. iBeacon, iBeacon, Beacon. You I are Mister iBeacon, Jake, yeah, what I, is what is the go? Clearly,
1: I, I spent my week installing beacons. I installed some beacons this week. It was pretty cool. But <laughs> maybe I should just have watched <laughs> the video instead. So
0: well, well, So the the basics of it was that it, the that. Uh, with iOS eight, they're going to be introducing a new part to call location, which is indoor, like indoor GPS, essentially. Right, yeah.
1: Um. So I got that without watching
0: the session. Right. And
1: it's going to be available for partners. And there's like somewhere where you can just log available, in. Available, I
0: believe. It's mostly just available. It, it, but it's based on like Wi-Fi and stuff. Yeah, but I
1: think if you own a location or are working with someone that owns a location, that you can register with Apple to do something right. to make your location yes, mappable. yes, you can mapable.
0: Uh. And so they like the the example that they showed was the, like a gallery because that's uh, it, it seems like the only thing that anybody can think of as far as indoor location indoor location uh, well obviously shop, is, shopping is malls gallery. right right but it's either a shopping mall or a, or a gallery but the gallery that they showed was kind of cool because it, the idea was that you put a beacon on for instance the three entrances that, that were on the map. Uh, and then I think they put it like they, they talked about putting like a beacon with each individual artwork, but then the rest of like going around and being knowing which floor you're on because it will know which floor you're on. Yeah. Uh, all of that stuff is handled based on, I think, the Wi Fi networks. Yeah. So it's you, you so basically do triangulation. Apple with acquired
1: that. a Wi Fi location company about 18 months ago. And so I was wondering whether we we're going to see something last year because it was about six months after the acquisition and we didn't. So it doesn't surprise me at all. And Google have got a similar thing, um, that the Google Maps, both on iOS and Android, will use Wi-Fi to get your position indoors. And again, you can upload floor plans to the special Google Maps backend. And then if you submit floor plans for your location, they'll appear within Google Maps, um, both on the web and within the Google Maps app on Android and iOS. The thing that you can't do with Google Maps that I'm wondering whether you can with Apple's is um get the indoor positioning like location details outside of the Maps app
0: so that you can do yes, it within you your own app. Yes, that's awesome. the whole point. That's it's, cool. just, it's just going to be part of call location. So you'll just get all that long. Yeah. Um, you'll get it'll and be. And you can, you can do what you, you want with that thing.
1: It. I wonder the other thing you can't do with Google so that I was hoping you might be able to do is um if you if your building supports indoor positioning then those maps must be publicly visible to the world on on their through their main maps platform whereas i thought it might there might be some organizations that want to take use of indoor positioning information for people within the building that mightn't necessarily want to share their floor plans with the world
0: well i don't know you you should watch the watch the session because yeah. i think you'll get a lot out of it cool. anybody that anybody that's working with location based stuff and dealing with beacons and stuff like that um i think i think part of the reason why i was so impressed with it was because they're not just like oh well you know we've got this new technology it's called beacons and we just, just use love that. it. we love it so much we're just using it for everything it's great hey uh, hey you sound like someone familiar i don't know anybody like that <laughs> uh it was kind of like a combination of different technologies that they're using to actually make this stuff happen and so yeah. you get the beacons for things like being able to know what what artworks you're near on yeah. when you walked through the door of a, of a, of a place. Yeah. Um, and so they can kind of go, okay, well we've entered the building. So now we can like get a fix on new, indoor locations, yeah. that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's cool. kind of using the technologies to their strengths and not trying to use like using one technology everywhere to do everything.
1: Yeah. I think that's awesome. And again, it's just getting additional layers of contextual information. So you right. Can find right. out some information from the wifi signal strength, some from blue beacons you can hear. They're presumably, also using some dead reckoning, like the accelerometer and
0: I assume so. All the rest. Of well, I mean, the the maps app essentially does that uh, anyway now nowadays because yeah. of the uh, with the GPS stuff and all that sort of thing. Awesome! Whoa, dead reckoning is that coming out on PS4? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hey, fell asleep speaking, when you guys were starting to talk about. RB. Speaking
1: of uh, consoles, uh, he I would like to predict an Apple console.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've for years wanted them to just give me a controller, like a first-party controller from Apple for the Apple TV, and then, as much as I hate to say this, just make a store that's only for games. So don't allow apps in there. And do AirPlay or
1: something, or just do Apple TV games?
0: No, no, no AirPlay, just Apple TV games.
1: Yeah, so I think they must be working on something like that. I don't think they are.
0: I'm going to go on record as saying it's not going to happen.
1: Well, what do you think Metal is about, just getting better performance on iOS?
0: I don't know. I don't know what Metal is about. Like I don't know if they use that. Well, I guess they wouldn't use OpenGL to build iOS, would they? They might. You never know. That could end up back be the thing that backs all their views and stuff.
1: Mm, no, I think I it's all think about so. games. I think metal.
0: I, I think it's to do with like games and yeah. that sort of in, like interactive worlds and stuff like that. But because the, the cynical take on metal would be it's a way of making people make games for iOS only. Oh, absolutely.
1: Well, DirectX. I think it's just higher performance. The I thing is, it's
0: that a lot of the game engines are building are going to be like uh, essentially built. Like Metal was really about like game engine developers, really yeah, exactly. more than anything. Like it's very unlikely that some indie developer who going, are going to, to write a metal garage yeah. is going to be writing something on top yeah. of Metal, like exactly. Directly. And
1: and all of the game engines across platforms. So I don't think it's yeah, that's blocking. true. They support. I think it's text. more about performance, and I reckon it's about the fact that. Performance that they get on iOS with OpenGL is fine for the sort of casual games you do on
0: a handheld. But, but when I'm playing should... Dead Reckoning on my Apple TV, I need I need more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, blue, with, so with beacons,
1: I reckon we're going to get a console. But anyway, I,
0: I, uh, I don't I've stopped making predictions about so. Apple TV and now. I, I I don't think we'll get a console. I think we'll get some. I I, I think eventually we're going to get something with Apple TV. But yeah, Apple TV game. console. But I don't necessarily think it's going to be straight up game game console. If they make me use my iPhone as a controller, I'm out. I want like a dedicated controller. <laughs> I can just see you like tossing everything. It's just like, yeah, nah, done, oh, I'm done, I'm done. I I'm want this. Away. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, in terms of other future predictions from th- hints that were dropped at DubDub. Clearly, we're getting more screen sizes.
0: Uh, or at so least... Yes split screen. No. What, do what do you mean? Oh, yes uh, and no. Yes and no. no. I, I mean, so like, obviously, they're going to do something, like, in, in the realm of screen sizes. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're getting a big iPhone. Like, it could mean anything. Now, I'm, I'm going on record as saying... size stuff is big iPhone right. with pixels. Sorry, Russell? I said I'm going on record as saying there'll definitely be a bigger iPhone with more pixels. Look, it's a very big possibility. We've and we have be talking a, about for, a bigger iPad, ages. smaller iPad. I think we're gonna get
1: I reckon within the next six months we're getting devices with different screen resolutions.
0: In, in the next six months. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with okay. Jack.
1: Okay. So <laughs> I,
0: I think I think the message from I've, dubdub what, was
1: clear. Unambiguously, go and make sure your code is what do they call it? It's not responsive because Apple came up with their own term, adaptive. Make sure your UIs are all adaptive
0: and dynamic type. Uh it could just be that we're getting a different device altogether. Nah, because, I mean, if if it's something as small as, as a watch or something like that, then there's there's almost no way to make your app that adaptive. Yeah. Like, it seems like it's just going to be, like, a bigger phone with maybe slightly more pixels up and down, and, and your app kind of fits in with that. Uh, look, I, I, I... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I, I've I, I should just not say. I should not say no because clearly, like, no, no, if, say no. If that, our prediction is episode just taught me anything, like I, basically everything I said, oh yeah, no, that'll never happen. Yeah. We that's what we got. So maybe I should say no, and then we'll get it. Yeah, I mean that. that's how it works. Do that. Good, good. Uh, well, I think uh, I think we're probably that's probably about all we have time for. Uh, it's been I think like an hour and a half or so. We've this we over time. And we've got so much more to There's talk so about. Much more, and in I think over the, over the few next few weeks, we'll we'll be talking about things like Swift more. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, I didn't get I, I didn't watch any of the session. Well, I watched one session on Swift, and so I kind of have a basic knowledge of it, but I haven't really had a chance to actually play with it or anything. So, uh, if you would like to read any of the stuff that we talked about today, show notes. Show notes are on the web. Well, that will be for the people in the live chat. I and I'm surprised that you're still there. <laughs> uh, you're know, given the well, given the flicker we still, noise. We still have a listener. We have we have a, we have like a few people in the live chat and stuff. Although I noticed that some someone did pass the Turing test today, so these might not be real people. How do you know? It's possible <laughs> these these might all be fake. Uh, but the uh, the show notes will be up on the web uh, when this episode goes out, which will be probably later on later on today and or tomorrow, depending on what time you zone you live in. Uh, so jump onto the website. The episode number is 33. So it will be uh, mobilecouch.co forward slash 33. It's pretty straightforward, I guess. Now, if you would like to get in touch with Russell. Russell, how do how do people get in touch with you? So I'm Ben Tringrave on the Twitter. And on the <laughs> stairs, that's B-E-N. And I'm Rusty Shelf. Oh, if you want to complain, yeah. Tweet at at Ben Trengrove and he'll answer all your questions. But if you want to tell him how great I am, that's at Rusty Shelf, all one word.
1: Hey, what are you doing next time? This was good, Russell. I don't think we could be a permanent replacement.
0: <laughs> oh, geez. you say that to everybody. You say that to all the guests. I'm just replacing. Oh, oh you. <laughs> in a no, no, in a
1: couple of weeks. It's just going to be Ash Farrow, uh Russell, and and Mark uh, what's his
0: face from that show that no one can remember his name. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Kirstie. is it is it is it Cassie? Jesse. Cassie? Jesse. Just, I reckon that Jesse would be. Less. I would love that show.
1: Could you guys do a mobile couch so that I can just stay in bed and listen with to just it random instead? people? I, I okay. can't replace
0: Ben. I'm worried he'd kill me in my sleep or something. <laughs> Sorry. You haven't <laughs> anyway, seen. Him. Anyway, if you would like to get in touch with uh, with us, you can you can either send us an email, jump onto our website. That's mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. You can also talk to Jake on Twitter. Jake is J McMullen. That's J M A C M U L L I N. That's right. Yes. You need definitely. to get an easier to spell last name, Jake. Sorry. Sorry. I'll <laughs> change, change, I'll change, change it to Shelf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't put my last name in my Twitter handle. Too hard to spell. And, and you could uh, you can also get in touch with me on Twitter. I am at Jelly Bean Soup. I don't even have to spell it. It's like three very simple words. It's good. It's good. It's very good. Anyway, that's it. That's all. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been great to speak to you all, and it was a wonderful dub-dub. I'm ecstatic that I could be there, and I'm looking forward to everything that happens uh, now, from now until next year. And uh, so go. Go, therefore, and make awesome things, and we will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Bye. Bye. Sweeties.